to Rumble. Welcome to Torah Studies. This is a very special edition of Torah Studies because, well, because we're all studying together and we're studying Torah together, but also because tonight's topic is all about one of the most marvelous holidays on the Hasidic calendar. Um, um, Maybe you didn't... I know, I know. Um, 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 Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Okay, almost. But that's on the regular Jewish calendar. I'm talking about a holiday on the Hasidic calendar, and that is coming up this Shabbos. And the holiday is known as Yud Tes Kislev, which is essentially saying the date, which is... We learned about that. Okay, good. The 19th of Kislev. Now, what is... What is the 19th day of Kislev? So it's, uh, it's a day, but it's a day that marks two very special things that happened on the Hasidic calendar. I'm going to tell you what, the, what happened, and we're going to elaborate, we're going to fabring, we're going to explore, we're going to study. All right, let's begin. So, number one, the first thing of significance on the Hasid, uh, uh, in, in the Hasidic... Uh, hey, guys. In the Hasidic um, calendar is that in the year 1772, in the year 1772, the Maggid of Mizrich, who was, uh, his name was Rabbi Dovber, the Maggid of Mizrich, he was, he passed away on the 19th day of Kislev in the year 1772. He was the Hasidic leader, the leader of the Hasidic movement in the generation following the Baal Shem Tov. So just to break it down a drop, um, the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, was the founder of the Hasidic movement. So his primary disciple, and I'll tell you a little bit about him soon, was the Maggid of Mizrich, um, who, by the way, only joined the Hasidic movement in 1752, 20 years before he passed away. He was a scholar and a tzaddik, and he was just an incredible scholar, but he only joined the ranks of the Hasidic movement in about 1752. Well, by the time of his passing in 1772, he took over from the Baal Shem Tov as the next Hasidic leader. So that's the first thing that happened on, again, the Hasidic calendar on the 19th day of Kislev. It's the yard site, that the anniversary of the passing of the Maggid of Mizrich. What else happened? Um, and you know what? Let me do this. I'm going to drop in the chat. Let me... Hold on one second. Okay. So the other thing is, let me drop this in the chat. Um, Magid of Mezerich. If you, if you can't catch what I'm saying, or you would love to see it, boom, it's in the chat. Magid of Mezrich. And his name was Rabbi Dov Bear. Okay. Um, Magid means a preacher, like a... An orator. The Magid, the orator of Mizrich. Mizrich was a place. That's where he lived. Rabbi Dovber. Then, you, the second thing that happened was that the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, who was a student of this aforementioned Magid of Mizrich, so the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Liadi, he was freed from prison on the 19th day of Kislev, in the year 1798. So 26 years later, does that make sense? 1772 to 1798. I believe, 20, yes, 26 years later, on the same day, 
the, mag, the, the same day that the Magad passed away, his student, who founded the Chabad movement, was released from czarist imprisonment. Let me tell you a little bit about both of these stories, and then we're going to launch into the class. Although, this is part of the class, but then we're going to tie it in with the Torah portion and develop it from there. Like I mentioned before, let's talk about the Magid. And really, let's talk about three generations of the, the, uh, the, the, the origins of the Hasidic movement. The Baal Shem Tov founded the Hasidic movement. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. His student was many students, including the Magid. And the Magid had many students, including the Alter Rebbe. So three generations that were focusing on the names, right? Baal Shem Tov, Magid of Mizrich, the Alter Rebbe. If you want to know how I'm, how, what that looks like, because I'm saying it, you know, I'm saying it the way I'm saying it. If you want to see, visualize, where's my chat box? I'm opening up everything else but the chat. So again, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneier Zalman of Liadi. All right, those are the two generations. The Magidim is rich, Rabbi Dober, and the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneier Zalman of Liadi. Um, the Magid's teacher was the Baal Shem Tov. All right, but I forgot to put him down, so, but he would be on the top. Okay, I hope you got the family tree or the, the Hasidic tree. If not, you have to stay after class and uh, write it 100 times on the board. I'm joking. Okay, so the Magid, we don't know much about the Magid's origins. In fact, I don't believe we even have a, a, a year of his birth. We know when he passed away. I don't know that we know exactly when he was born. But we do know... That I, like I mentioned before, the Magid was a tremendous Torah scholar, proficient in essentially every area of Jewish scholarship. He heard about the Baal Shem Tov. He heard about this newly formed Hasidic movement, and he was, like many, he was very intrigued. What is this Hasidic movement all about? What's the deal with these Hasidim? What does it mean? Who is this Baal Shem Tov mysterious um, uh, miracle worker figure? What is it? So here's the story. Here's the origin story. Every great hero has an origin story. You know that, right? Every good barbecue sauce has an origin story. Trust me, go read the labels. It's fantastic. Okay. So the Magid shows up to visit the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov lived, well, the Baal Shem Tov did a lot of traveling and encouraging people but his main headquarters was in a place called Mejibuj. That's the place, Mejibuj. I'm not going to try to write that out. Okay, so he lived in a place called Mejibuj. So the Magid, who was this Torah scholar, this is before they were connected. Okay, this is the origin story. So the Magid says, you know, I'm going to go visit the Baal Shem Tov, see what he's all about. Remember, this Magid guy, rabbi guy, was like top, top, top. He visits the Baal Shem Tov, and he's expecting to hear wisdom and insights that are going to blow him away. Well, you probably can guess what happened next. He shows up to the Baal Shem Tov's shul, synagogue, court, whatever you want to call it, and he's waiting. The Baal Shem Tov says a word here, a word there, garnished. He's like, what is this? 
you know, you ever have an experience that's completely underwhelming? You ever have that? You're expecting something? Not, not these classes, by the way. Other, other experiences, right? You're expecting something and it's completely underwhelming. You're like, what? I wasted my time for this. That's exactly what the Magid was thinking. And the Magid says to the Baal Shem Tov, out, out of courteous, uh, cur- um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, cur- He's being courteous. There you go. All right. So he says to him, he says, all right, I'm, I'll be on my way now. The Baal Shem Tov says, before you go, I have a question. He said, I have a question in Eitz Chaim. Have you studied Eitz Chaim? He says, yeah. You know what Eitz Chaim is? Eitz Chaim is the teachings of Lorianic Kabbalah. Um, uh, the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, taught Kabbalah in the 1500s, and his teachings are recorded, were recorded by his student, Rabbi Chaim Vital, who, and the name of the book of the Bash of the of the Arizal's teachings of Lorianic Kabbalah, the name of that book, the main primary book, is called Eitz Chaim, which means a tree of life. But it's called Eitz Chaim because Chaim Vital wrote his teacher's teachings down, so he named the book with his own name on it. All right, fine. So he said, are you, are you, I have a question on Eitz Chaim I want to ask you. The Magid was a brilliant scholar, so he said, sure, fire away. So he asks him, can you explain this passage in Eitz Chaim to me? The Magad explains it. Baal Shem Tov says, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't like your answer. He says, what do you mean? This is definitely what it means. He says, no. So the Magad says, so, so what do you think it means? The Baal Shem Tov began expounding on this passage in Eitz Chaim. And the story goes, the Magad, suddenly the house, the synagogue, the building was filled with light. And it set, he sensed that there was a fire that surrounded them. In other words... He was waiting for the magic. The magic just happened, right? He showed up to the Baal Shem Tov. He wanted a magical experience. He got a few vertlach, a few ideas here, there. He was about to leave. The Baal Shem Tov says, come back. Let me, let me teach you some, some Kabbalah. And at that point, they were off to the races. Well, the Magid basically became a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov. And ultimately, after the Baal Shem Tov passed away, his, the Baal Shem Tov's son took over. Um, took over the leadership of the Hasidic movement for a year, and then afterwards, after that first yard site, his son said, I, the, uh, my father came to me in a dream, and he said, essentially, the Magad should take over. The bottom line is the Magad of Mizrich took over the mantle of the Hasidic leadership from the, from the Baal Shem Tov, and he passed away on Yutes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, in the year 1772. By the way, Yutes Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, is coming up this Shabbat, which is why we're talking about it. I think I may have mentioned it before, but I want to make sure that I mention the context, the calendar context. It's this Shabbat is 19 Kislev. Now, the next story is about the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad. So the Alter Rebbe was one of the students of the Magid, also a great scholar, also came... He wasn't born into a Hasidic family. Remember, this was the origins of the Hasidic movement. There were no Hasidic families then. Everyone who was a Hasid joined the group at some point from other circles, right? So the Alter Rebbe grew up in a just, you know, in a regular community. When I say regular community, I mean a non-Hasidic community. And then he heard about the Magid, and he joined the Magid, became a student. He was from Lithuania. They called him the Litvak. So... The Alter Rebbe became a Rebbe in his own right. The Magad passed away, and the Alter Rebbe became 
a, a Rebbe, a, a Hasidic leader, and the founder of Chabad. He wrote the book of Tanya, which is the Bible of Chabad Hasidic philosophy. He wrote it and published Tanya in 1796. Well, a little bit over a year later, um, and I probably should mention this, this is very important to the story, when the Hasidic movement uh, began, there were those in what we would call, I guess, the mainstream community that were not so excited about this whole new Hasidic movement thing. First of all, I guess people are hesitant to change. Second of all, people are wary of, you know, new movements and, 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 and new energies and all that sort of thing. So there were people that were very wary of the Baal Shem Tov, the Magid, the Alter Rebbe. Anyone who was labeled a Hasid, they're like, mm, yeah, we don't know about that. Listen, history has proven that the Hasidic movement never went off to any dark place. On the contrary, you know, Hasidim have a reputation of being kind of happy and friendly and positive. So, I mean, I think. So, um, all's well that ends well. But in the early generations, there was a little bit of skepticism. So, in 1797, already into 1798, things were getting a little bit heated up. And ultimately, there, were, there was a movement and at least one or maybe even more people from Vilna, Lithuania, which was a hotbed of those that were opposed to the Hasidic movement. Um, or let's say, instead of those that were opposed to the Hasidic movement, those that weren't yet warmed up to the Hasidic movement, right? There was um, fake, char- fake accusations leveled against the Alter Rebbe that were given, submitted to the government. Or really, it's not a government, it was to the Tsar, the Tsar of Russia. What were the charges? Some of you may know this, we've discussed it in previous classes. The charges were high treason, which is a very serious charge. What were the grounds? Again, it was all made up, but what were the grounds? Allegedly, that the Alter Rebbe was raising money and giving charity money and and supporting... um, the, the Ottoman Empire, which was at war then with the Russians. That was the story. How is he supporting the Ottoman Empire? The Turks? What kind, what kind of business is that? Because he was sending tzedakah money to Israel. And Israel then, right, was under the rule of the Ottoman Empire. So by virtue of him giving, sending tzedakah to the Jews in Israel, so the charges were, again, these were fake charges, but it's, it is what it is. The charges were that he was engaged in an act of treason against the, against the Tsar of Russia. No, no, what are you going to do? The Alter Rebbe was arrested. He was thrown into the uh, Peter Paul Fortress in St. Petersburg. And there he, he was spent 53 days in imprisonment, after which he was vindicated and exonerated of all charges and sent home with, uh, with much pomp and circumstance. That freedom, the release from imprisonment, look, to be accused of high treason in, in uh, you know, 200 year ago Russia was not a small deal. When he was freed from imprisonment, it was the 19th day of Kislev. That year was on a Tuesday, but this year it's on Shabbat. So again, 26 years later, we have two special occasions. One, the yard site of the Magid, and one, the anniversary of uh, the, the liberation, the freedom of the Alter Rebbe. Okay, so I, I hope you're getting some of these these milestones, if you want, the Hasidic calendar. Oh, and I should mention that because of specifically the second incident that I mentioned, which is the, the freedom, the liberation of the Alter Rebbe from imprisonment on this day, on, on the 19th of Kislev, the 19th of Kislev has become known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus, Hasidut. It's the new year, the Hasidic new year. You know, there's like the Jewish new year, Rosh Hashanah. 
There's Lahavdil, there's the secular New Year, January 1st. There's the Hasidic New Year. What's the Hasidic New Year? The 19th of Kislev, this Shabbat. It's a day of Fabrengen. It's a day of feasting now. It's Shabbat anyway, so everyone's going to you know, be feasting with the Shabbos meal. But if it falls out on a Monday in Hasidic communities, it's a yomtif. It's a holiday. Everyone dresses in holiday clothing, right? You dress in your holiday finest. You have a candlelit dinner, you know, with can- the whole deal. I mean, you don't, have, you don't say the blessings for the candles, but you, you like candles. You have a, a holiday. Uh, it's a holiday experience. A, fabre- a communal fabrengen. It's the real deal. It's a day of resolu- New Year's resolution, specifically in the realm of Hasidic philosophy and mystical study, like Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. So you take resolutions and you... It's a day of celebration. There's an annual cycle of the study of Tanya, the book that the Alter Rebbe published in 1796 that I mentioned before. That There's an annual cycle that begins and ends. The, the cycle coincides with that day, the 19th of Kislev. It's a significant day on the calendar. So what I want to do today, in today's class is, we're going to connect. We're going to try to... Here's the attempt. We're going to try to connect um, four things. Okay, you ready? Four things. Let me, instead of holding up all hands, that looks like nine, let's just hold up one hand. Four things. Number one, the Magid. We're going to connect the Magid with the Alta Rebbe. So the Magid's passing with the Alta Rebbe's liberation, with this week's Torah portion, mind you, Vayishlach, with the very ideals of the Hasidic movement. So again, let me do this in a little bit, maybe different order. We're going to connect this week's Torah portion with the Hasidic movement, with the Magad of Mizrich's passing, and the Alter Rebbe's liberation. Sounds ambitious? Yeah. But we do ambitious for lunch. All right, folks, let's do this. All right, so let's jump right in. And we're going to begin with our Torah portion. Torah portion is Vayishlach. Vayishlach begins with... Um, with a mission. Let me give you the background. Very quick background. Jacob, the third of our three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has a twin brother. Some may call him an evil twin brother. That's a harsh term, but some may use that term. You have the good twin and the not-so-good twin. All right. We, We studied this a few weeks ago. Jacob at some point, took his brother's blessings, right? Their dad, who couldn't see, wanted to bless Esau, and it ended up that uh, Jacob took the blessings. All right. At that point, Esau wants to kill his brother, his twin. And what happens is Jacob bounces. He heads out of Dodge. He's out of there. And he spends 20-plus years away from home. After 20 plus years, he decides it's time to go home. It's time to head back. But he needs to feel out, he needs to feel out his brother. How much hatred does Esau still harbor in his heart toward him? Does he still want to kill him? Where are we holding in the relationship? They weren't texting every day, so he needed to know what's going on. So the Torah portion begins by telling us that Jacob sends messengers to his brother to find out how's it going, right? How's it going? He figures the telegram is not going to be effective, so he sends messengers to deliver a message and to bring back a message. 
Let's read this inside. I'm going to share my screen with you. I am going to share my screen with you momentarily. If I can find my screen. Give me a moment. Let's find the screen. Interesting. I know I have it open. But for some reason... I cannot find it. Okay, let me try. Let me try something else. Give me a second, please. Okay, let me try it one more time. Folks, have faith. This will work. Please, God. Okay. Ta-da, it's working. Okay, I'm sharing my screen with you. I hope you can see this now. Fantastic. All right, here we go. Jacob heads home. Before he heads home, he sends the messengers. Ray, if you will, please get us started. This is text number one, page 121. All right, don't forget to unmute yourself. You got it? Fantastic. Okay, great. Jacob sent angels ahead of him to his brother Esau to the land of Seir, the field of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, So shall you say to my master, to Esau, Thus said your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban, and I have tarried until now. And I have acquired oxen and donkeys, Locks, manservants, maidservants, and I have sent to tell you this to my master to find favor in your eyes. The angels returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother, to Esau, and he is also coming towards you, and 400 men are with him. All right, thank you. So, yeah, so he sends a message. He's um, trying to be nice to his brother, and he finds out his brother is coming at him with 400 men. Okay, all right, that's not necessarily the answer that he wanted, but you know what, sometimes you can't really choose the answer that you get, you just, uh, you get what you get. Now, here's what's going on. What we're going to do is we're going to focus on the third word in the Torah portion. Um, the third word, oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. Linda's asking the, the question that we're going to focus on, or at least the area that we're, going to, that we're going to cover. Okay, one second. Here we go. We're going to talk about angels. If you look at the opening verse, it says, Jacob sent angels. Now, the Hebrew, the Hebrew is malachim. Malachim means angels, but it could also mean messengers. But what's interesting is, as you see in the translation here, we have it translated as angels and not messengers. And so it seems to be that there's something about Jacob sending angels. Specifically, angels to fulfill this task. I'm going to stop sharing with you. Actually, let's no. I'm going to continue sharing, and I want to um, jump into Rashi, text number two. Let's give a turn to Adina Malka. Please read text number two, page one twenty-two, right there on the screen. Don't forget to unmute. Um, Jacob sent Malachim. 
the word malachim in this context is to be taken literally, angels. So Rashi says, do not think, do not be mistaken and think that malachim means messengers. No, malachim mamash, which means literally he sent angels. He literally sent angels. Now, the question is, well, how does Jacob, how does Yaakov, how does Jacob have the power to send angels? How does he command angels? So it's a good question. It's not going to be the main focus of today's class, although we will focus on angels. But I want to just say this. Each one of us has the power to direct angels. Everything that we do, say, or think creates an angel, creates an energy. And that angel is directed by the way that we send it. So now, maybe it's not exactly the same as what Jacob did, but nonetheless, we all have on some level some sort of command over an angel. So what's interesting is, again, that Rashi chooses to interpret this verse as meaning that Jacob literally sent angels. Now, you know, somebody could ask, how does Rashi know this? Somebody might, well, I mean, the Torah uses the word malachim, which means angels, but somebody might ask, how does Rashi know it was literally angels, maybe figuratively uh, messengers? Also, wh why did Jacob, why did Yaakov, why did Jacob need to, to send actual angels? What's the story with the angels? All right, there's a lot, lot, lots of questions that we might have on it. Either way, Rashi says that who was sent, who did Jacob send? He sent angels to meet with, to meet with, um, with Esau. All right. However, what I want to share with you in the context of today's class, in the 19th of Kislev, which is coming up, this Shabbat, is an interpretation that the Magad Mizrich gave on the last Shabbat of his life. I told you he passed away on the 19th day of Kislev, 1772. Well, that last Shabbat, before his passing, was this Torah portion, Vayishlach. And the Magad made... The Magid, uh, um, <laughs> hey, the Magid um, gave, uh, delivered a teaching that turns Rashi upside down. Or maybe not upside down, but shares a brand new light on this classic Rashi's commentary. Remember, Rashi says two words, Malachim Mamash, which means literally angels. The Magid, based on a Hasidic understanding, gives a completely new interpretation. I'm going to share my screen with you, and let's look at text number three. Um, Dr. Maxi, please take it away. All right, again, text three, the, the Shabbat. The Shabbat of Parshat Vayishlach, 5533, 1772, was the Megid of Mezrich's last Shabbat in this world. Lying in bed before all the members of the Holy Society, he said, Rashi states that the Malachim Jacob sent were Malachim Mamash. This means Jacob sent the Mamash bodies of the angels to Esau, but the spirituality of the angels remained with Jacob. Thank you. So let me explain what he's saying. It's a very subtle teaching, but it's, it's wow. The Magid is, this is his last few days of, of life. He's lying in bed 
before the members of the Holy Society, the Chevra Kadisha, the, the Chevraya Kadisha, these were um, the, his students that were called the Holy Society because they were so holy and so mystical. And he said the following, Rashi, Zakt Rashi, Rashi says, Malachim or Malachim Amish. What does that mean? Not just he literally sent the angels, no. That which part of the angels did he send? He sent the Mamash. He sent the tangible, the physical, the body of the angel, but the soul of the angel, the spiritual part of the angel, he kept with him. Again, what he says is, this is the Hasidic interpretation of Rashi. One second. Let me, let me pause there for half a second. Rashi, we know, gives the simple explanation. But not when you're speaking to a mystic. When you're speaking to a mystic, Rashi, simple. Are you kidding me? Rashi has the greatest secrets. You got to know how to read Rashi. You can read Rashi as saying, yeah, he sent angels. Or you can read Rashi in a completely different way. So the way the Magid read it, and explained it on the last Shabbat of his life, Vayishlach, this week's Torah portion, is that who did, which part of the angel did Jacob send? The mamash, the tangible part, the body of the angel, but the spiritual part of the angel stayed with him. But now I need to ask you a simple question. What does it mean? First of all, what does it mean that an angel has a body and a soul? Since when do angels have bodies? People have bodies. What kind of angel body? What are we, the, like the wings? Like what, what did he send and what did he keep? Right? Number one. Right? And, and, and why would he do that? What, 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 does it, what does it even mean? What's a body with an angel? What's a soul within an angel? What's going on here? Let me give you an explanation. Here's one way to understand it. The one way to understand it is as follows. You know, did, did, you, ever, did you ever have an experience where you needed to do something that you weren't interested in doing? Has that ever happened to you? Once in a while? All right, maybe once? Okay. So you've done things that you didn't want to do. You might characterize that experience as your body was there, but your spirit wasn't there. Correct? I don't mean you weren't alive. What I, God forbid, what I mean is, you know, somebody could say, my heart wasn't in, wasn't in it. Right? My mind wasn't in it. My soul wasn't in it. So my body was doing it. I was there physically, but I wasn't there spiritually. So the Magad is saying that when Jacob, that when Jacob sends the angels to his brother, he only sends the body of the angels. The practical, pragmatic, utilitarian part of the angel he sends to Esau his brother, but the spirit remained with him. Beautiful. He lobotomized, I don't know if that's the right word, but he divided the angels. He kept the soul and he sent the body, the mechanism, the mechanics he sent, the utilitarian mission was done, but the spirit of the angel remained with him. Nice. Very beautiful. Good. When you go to Esau, you only show up in body, but not in spirit. The Rebbe asks a question. Our Rebbe asks the question, what does that mean? On the contrary, what's going on here? Jacob is sending a messenger, angels to his brother. Now, on a simple level, it's, he's 
taking the temperature of, of, his, of his brother. You still hate me or we're good? 20 years have passed. You still holding a grudge or everything's, you know, water under the bridge? How we... That's on a simple level. But on a deeper level, Jacob was trying to impact, trying to uplift, trying to transform his brother. So he sends the angels, because if he was just delivering a message, you don't need angels to deliver a message. I mean, right? That's what FedEx or UPS is for, or USPS, right? You don't need an angel to get, in, to get intel. You need an angel to create an impact. Not intel, but impact. So the Rebbe asks a question, if he sent angels, again, this is obviously a deeper understanding of the story. If Jacob is sending angels, angels, right, to Esau, to transform him, so then why is he not sending the soul? Why is he only sending the, me the mechanics, the body of the angel? He should definitely be sending the soul. Are you with me in the question? Right, if he's trying to create a revolution, you need to have it. You need to be in it, in your soul. In other words, you have to bring, you have to bring your, your, the, all the energy. You can't be like holding back. So why is he sending angels halfway? But don't take my word for it. Let's look at the way the Rebbe asked the question inside. I'm going to read this one. Take a look at text four. The, this is the Rebbe. The question arises, ostensibly... In other words, the way we understand that the reason Jacob sent angels and not humans to Esau is because the goal was to transform Esau spiritually. To this end, he sent angels who are, better, who are best suited for such a job. But why did he only send the angels' bodies? Surely such a transformation of Esau would be accomplished primarily by the angels' inner spiritual quality. So this is the question that we're left with, and this is the journey that I want to remind you of. Let me walk you through very quickly one, two, three points. Point one, Jacob sent angels. Point two, Rashi says they were literally, well, maybe four points. All right, work with me here, right? The Torah says that he sent Malachim. Rashi says Malachim Mamish, literally angels. The Maggot of Mizrich in the last Shabbat of his life says, Malachim Mamash means he sent only the tangible part of the angel, the body of the angel, but not the soul of the angel. And the Rebbe asks, if you're sending an angel already, it means that you need something spiritual to happen. Why only send the body of the angel, so to speak, and not the soul? It seems like you, that's exactly what you need, the full soul of the angel, to accomplish. So, where we're up to now is questioning the Magid's last teaching. The Magid's last teaching on the last Shabbat of his life is about this, the angel lobotomy. And the Rebbe is asking, why not send the soul of the angel? Make sense? The question makes sense? Tov Ma'od. To understand this, we need to understand what is the role of the Hasidic movement. You may have wondered this. Like, what's the deal with the Hasidic movement in general? Um, why the, and, and you know, the Hasidic movement is primarily focused on the teachings of the mystical tradition of Torah, which is associated with Kabbalah. And, and you may be wondering, what's, what's the deal with that? Well, I want to share with you something now connected with the Alter Rebbe and his imprisonment. When the Alter Rebbe was imprisoned, I, I, I told you the story before, there were 
false charges of treason and, and, and going against the czar. He was exonerated completely within a matter of 53, less than two months. Everything was cleared up. But the Alta Rebbe never looked at it as, you know, a physical or, you know, a, um, an on-the-ground issue. The Alta Rebbe understood that if he finds himself in imprisonment, there must be a spiritual decree against him. Because everything that happens in the physical world is sourced in the spiritual realm. So if he finds himself in a negative spot down here, it must be that there's some sort of spiritual accusation against him in the heavens. So take a look at this. This story will knock your socks off. Take a look at what I'm about to share. This is when the Alter Rebbe was in prison and the souls of the Baal Shem Tov and the Magad appeared to him. They had already passed away, but the souls of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, the Magad who took over and was the Alter Rebbe's teacher, they, their souls appeared to the Alter Rebbe in prison. Here we go. The Alter Rebbe asked them, why do I deserve this and what do they want from me? In other words, what's going on in heaven? Because y'all are in heaven. So tell me, please, what's going on up there that all this stuff is happening down here? The Baal Shem Tov and the Magad answered, the heavenly accusation against your publicly disseminating the teachings of Chassidut has been renewed. In other words, what's the issue? The issue is that in heaven, there's an issue that you're teaching so much chasidut, so much secrets of Torah publicly. The Alter Rebbe asked them, if I make it out of here, should I stop teaching chasidut? Should I stop? They responded, no. Because you have started, do not stop. To the contrary, when you get out of here, you shall increase. That's the story that's recorded, the dialogue between the Alter Rebbe and his teacher and his teacher's teacher regarding the Kitrug, regarding the accusation above. Essentially, the reason why he was in prison below is because he had stirred the pot above. What was the pot that he stirred? What was the ire that he raised in heaven? He was teaching too much secrets. What's, what are we talking about here? We're talking about Kabbalah because Hasidic philosophy is essentially expounding on Kabbalah. He was teaching this stuff that for generations, when I say generations, thousands of years, was not taught publicly. And why wasn't it taught publicly? I'm glad you asked. Take a look at text number six. Oh, by the way, this is from Rambam, from Maimonides. Rambam writes the following. Text six. The sages of the early generations commanded that these matters, the mystical teachings, should only be explained, listen to this, to one person at a time. These concept are, are, concepts are extremely deep and not every person has the knowledge necessary to appreciate them. Our sages have taught that you should not discuss them, right, this, the mystical secrets of Torah in public. Concerning them, the verse states, they shall be for you and not for others with you. Similarly, the verse states, honey and milk will be under your tongue. 
The sages of the early generations interpreted this as a metaphor. Subjects that are like honey and milk, the good stuff, should be kept under your tongue. Secret societies, secret study groups, one student at a time, to an exclusive audience or to an exclusive student who's on a certain level. Have you ever heard of the prohibition about studying Kabbalah until you're 40 years old? This is the spirit in which it comes from. The idea is that you keep the really good stuff on the down low. Not everyone's ready for it. Not everyone's... It, it could be, you know, the stuff that's really mind-blowing could be mind-blowing. So you got to be careful in who you're teaching it to. That's the way it was from the beginning. From the time we got the Torah and Moses got the secrets, it was taught on the lowdown, hush-hush, one student at a time. Until... The Hasidic movement blew it open. And now we're going to focus on the Hasidic movement for a minute. By the way, just to take a half a step back, we talked about this week's Torah portion. I told you about the teaching that the Magid taught on the last, day, on the last Shabbat of his life before he passed away. We talked about the Alter Rebbe's encounter with his teacher's soul and, his, and the Baal soul in prison, right, with his story. So we're covering all of our bases. We just haven't tied everything together yet. I hope you realize how, how we're moving to, we're, we're, we're hitting all the markers here, right? And now we're talking about the Hasidic movement. That was the fourth item. Uh, listen, in case you're, you're following me and, and, and keeping, holding me to task, I'm on task here. We had four things. The Torah portion, Hasidic movement, the Magid, and the Alter Rebbe. Well, we talked about the Torah portion. We have a question on that. We talked about the Magid. We have a question on that. The Alter Rebbe just told us we have a story about the, the decree, and now we're talking about the Hasidic movement. So what's the deal with the Hasidic movement and this idea of proliferating, of opening up, of you know, spreading the wellsprings of Jewish mysticism? What's the deal with that? And the truth is, as you just saw, apparently that's what was stoking the fires on high negatively against the Alter Rebbe, why he was in prison in the first place down here, is because he was doing things, you know, kind of shaking the status quo of heaven. So why do you do it? So why do you do it? Why not keep the tradition? Shh, hush, hush. You have the good stuff. Keep it under your tongue. Teach it to one student at a time. Why'd they change? What happened? There's two reasons. One deeper than the next. By the way, this is a standalone point. It's not a standalone point. It connects to everything that we're talking about, but it could also be used in your own mind as a standalone idea. Question and answer. Question, why does the Hasidic movement teach Kabbalah publicly and openly? Answer, two answers, right? That's where we're up to right now. Answer number one. Back in the day, they didn't need it. There was enough inspiration. People were plugged in. People were holy. They didn't need the mystical teachings to inspire them. As the generations kept on going, and as the challenges, the challenges in the Jewish community increased, and as morale sunk, and as pogroms rose, yeah, there was a need to invigorate the community by sharing something with a more mystical, deeper flavor. Ah. <sighs> 
So here's the parable that the Alter Rebbe taught. Text 7. Here's a story. Rabbi Pinchas of Karitz was among the most distinguished, uh, most distinguished of Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov's disciples. He believed that the holy teachings of Chassidut should be safeguarded, shared only with a select few. So within the Hasidic movement, he said, he, his opinion was, keep this also on the down low. He was particularly opposed to those who transcribed the teachings of his colleague Rabbi Dover, the Magid, and who actively distributed copies to the wider Jewish community. Once, while Pinchas was in Mezrich, that's where the Magid was headquartered, he found one such transcription of mystical teachings languishing in a mound of garbage. The sight of this caused him great pain. Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, was also Mizrich at the time and knew of Rabbi Pinchas' objection to publishing these teachings indiscriminately. Wishing to appease Rabbi Pinchas, Rabbi Shneir Zalman offered a parable. Listen to this. There was once a prince who fell gravely ill. The doctors were unable to find a cure for his illness. One day, a man arrived at the palace and prescribed a remedy. He described a certain precious stone with which... If one were to grind it to the finest of powders, mix it, mix it with a superb wine and give it to the prince to drink, he would be cured. There's only one such gem in the kingdom. Sorry, the only such gem in the kingdom served as the centerpiece of the, of the king's crown. The royal ministers were afraid to remove it and damage the kingdom's most precious possession and the ultimate symbol of the king's sovereignty. But the king was overjoyed. He ordered that the gem be extracted and ground immediately and the potion prepared. Grind, pure, sorry, grind, pour, and squander the entire gemstone, said the king. Who knows? Perhaps a single drop will enter my son's mouth and he will be healed. That is the first answer. The first answer is at the time of the Hasidic movement, when the Baal Shem Tov emerged on the scene, Jewish life in Poland, in Russia, in Eastern Europe was completely depressed. There were pogroms, there were blood libels, the Jewish morale was at an all-time low. And the Baal Shem Tov said, we are going to lift up the spirits. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to take the king's crown and maybe even grind it up and maybe even try to pour it into the prince's mouth and it may dribble out and end up in the garbage, but a little drop may get in and that little drop can revive the spirits of the prince. Are you with me on the parable? The Jewish people were in a faint and this was going to revive them. By the way, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you probably agree with me that history has borne this out. There's been a renaissance of Jewish vibrancy and, 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 and life, and it's directly connected with the idea of, of, of deeper spiritual teachings in general, in the world, and certainly in the Jewish community. I will also say that even in synagogues and communities that don't describe themselves as Hasidic or mystical without even knowing it, well, without the community even knowing it, the most inspiring things that are shared are the things that are coming from the, the Hasidic stuff. If you ask rabbis of other communities, well, I don't know if you ask if they're going to share this, but many of them are getting their information from, from Hasidic sources. So that's, that's one thing, or mystical sources. So that's point number one. So again, in response to the question, why reveal Jewish mysticism? The answer is because there was a need, because the prince was faint. 
because the Jewish people were at an all-time low? That's one answer. There's a second answer. And the second answer is that the closer we get to Mashiach, Mashiach being a time when the secrets of reality will be apparent, beginning with the secret of who created all of this, right? God. So in preparation, as, sorry, as we get closer to the times of Mashiach, the Messianic era, when the deepest truths will be revealed, we get a taste of the deepest truths of Torah. Much like, and this is a parable that's actually brought down in the good book, so it's not a joke. Much like before Shabbat, you already have Shabbat food. You taste of the chicken soup. You taste of the kugel. You taste, right? Before Shabbat, you're cooking Friday. You have challah. You, you, you taste a little bit. You have a little bit of the taste of the, of the Shabbat food before Shabbat. We have a taste now of Mashiach. And that is in the form of Hasidic philosophy. But it's more than just a taste. It actually helps bring it about. Because what is Mashiach? What is the Messianic era? What is it? Like? What, what, what is it? Global peace and harmony and, and plenty, yes. But where does it come from? How does global peace come about? It's about truth being revealed. It's about the deeper soul of reality being revealed. When divine truth is revealed, that takes away the ego and then world peace can reign. So the point is that it's the proliferation. It's the spreading of the deeper secrets of Torah that bring about the greatest transformation in the world. These are two reasons why the teachings of Jewish mysticism have been revealed in an unprecedented way over the last few hundred years. Number one, because of the lowly state that the world has been in to revive, and it's to revive the spirits. That's one. That's the negative answer. The positive answer, which is a deeper answer, is that these teachings, teaching revealing the soul of Torah, helps reveal the soul of creation, which helps bring about ever closer the coming of Mashiach. So these are the two reasons. Based on reason number one, you don't need to teach a lot of Kabbalah. Just a few drops would help. And that's how indeed the Baal Shem Tov taught, and that's how the Magad taught. They taught short ideas. But the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe founded the Chabad movement. Chabad stands for Chachma, Bina, and Dat. And that is a philosophy that takes Jewish mysticism and and. The approach is to take Jewish mystical teachings and develop it intellectually and logically and rationally so that it, 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 it can be studied like a study. Chachma, Bina, Dat, the mystical stuff shouldn't just be awe-inspiring and overwhelming and emotional and uplifting, but it should be intellectually accessible. So the Alter Rebbe went to prison and he asked the Magid and the Baal Shem Tov, what's going on? Why am I here? And they said, because you took it too far. So should I stop? No. 
Once you started, don't stop. What does that mean? For the first reason, to, to revive the prince, all you need are a few drops. You went too far for that. But now heaven realizes that there's a second reason. And what's the second reason? The more you teach, the more you lay the groundwork for Mashiach. Because again, Mashiach is, the Messianic era is, truth revealed. Well, what's truth revealed? It's soul revealed. And what's soul revealed? The teachings of the mystical parts of Torah. So they said, once you start a teaching, don't stop. Because this is the pathway toward Mashiach. I saw something come through in the chat. What about when Kabbalah goes out there really into the world? And the next thing you know, Madonna's learning Kabbalah. Right? Has that gone too far? I would imagine that the same Repinchas of Karitz, who was appalled at seeing the, the Bichel, the, 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 the papers of, of mysticism rolling around in the garbage, he would be appalled to hear that it was said it's so widespread. But if you understand the first rationale and, even the, and certainly the second rationale, the idea is, look, when you grind up the stone and you pour the potion in the, in the prince's mouth, not all of it is going to go in. And it's going to drip down and it's going to go down. It's going to go in other directions. Is it worth it? It's still worth it. Of course it's worth it. What about the fact that it paves the... That's, that's even the first answer. The second answer for sure. The whole point of... Not the whole point, but the point of proliferating, of opening up Kabbalah and, and Hasidic philosophy is to pave the entire world for Mashiach. Mashiach is not a Jewish idea. I mean, it's, it's also a Jewish idea, but it's not exclusively a Jewish idea. Mashiach is a global idea, a global healing. If your question is, is Madonna learning legitimate Kabbalah, there's only one answer. Ask Madonna. I have no idea what she's learning, right? I, we have to, I don't know. I'm not sure what she's learning, but here's the point. The idea of, of Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism is to pave the world for a higher consciousness, which brings us back to the angel story of Jacob. Jacob was trying to transform his brother. In the, in the language that we've just been talking about, Jacob was trying to bring Mashiach, right? If Mashiach is about transforming the world, impressing upon the world a higher consciousness, that's exactly what Jacob was trying to do to his brother, impress upon him a higher consciousness. So how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you go into the world and transmit this higher message effectively? So we said before, it seems that you should go in body and soul. Your soul, every part of you should be invested in that job of transforming the Esau, transforming the, 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 the lowly spaces into a holy space. You would need your body and your soul. You can't leave your soul behind. But you have to. Not leave it behind. No. Your soul has to be there. But where is it connected? Where is your soul connected? It's still with Jacob. Jacob sent the angels, and the Maggot said in the last Shabbat of his life, you know what he sent? The Mamish, the Mamash, the tangible part of the angels. And we thought that, you know what it meant? That the soul, is, sorry, and he said, but the soul remained with Jacob. And we thought it meant literally, that he literally buzzsawed the angels in half and only sent the body, but kept the soul. No, 
The, all, the entire angel went. What does it mean he kept the soul of the angel? That even when the soul was there, even when the angel's soul, the angel, body and soul, was by Esau, the soul was still with Jacob. It was still tethered to its purpose. And this becomes the perspective that we need in our efforts to transform the world. Whether it's through the teachings of Jewish mysticism or whether it's through our efforts to make the world a better place. If we wish to transform the world for the good and not be transformed by the world for the negative, because somebody's going to influence somebody. Either you're going to be doing the influencing or you're going to be the one that's being influenced. Who decides? You decide. Are you going to be the one being mashpia, being the influencer? Or are you going to be the one that's going to be the influencee? Who's doing the giving and who's doing the receiving? The Maggid of Mizrich, the last Shabbat of his life, teaches us that what does it mean to be an influencer? Not an Instagram influencer. What does it mean to be a real spiritual influencer? It means that your soul is always with Jacob. That even when you're face-to-face -face with the challenge, you're face-to-face -face with that lowly space, with that darkness, you're their body and soul. But your soul at its core is tethered back home where it came from. It's tethered with Jacob, tethered with purpose. When you carry yourself in such a way that no matter what situation you're in, your core is still plugged into your source, which is the symbolism of Jacob sending the angels, but the soul remaining connected to him. When we walk this earth with our spirits tethered on high, we can do the transforming. The moment we're all in body and soul and our soul is right there, we become vulnerable. The moment we cut the cord from the source, the moment we disconnect, of course, with the, with the excuse that we have to be present, but the moment we cut that cord, we're done. There are so many different manifestations of this on every different level. You know, as, as a rabbi, I'm speaking about myself right now, who does a lot of um, programming, educational programming in the community, there's a constant question of how popular to make a program, but at what cost? At what point does it become a popular thing that loses the soul? Are you with me in the question? At what point does it become something that's very exciting, but we've, already, but we've now cut the cord? Everyone's going to show up. Everyone's going to love it. But is it still connected? Is it still tethered? You see what I'm saying? And if you cut the cord, you're no longer transforming. You're now part of the world. You're now being influenced by the world, but you're not influencing anymore in a holy way. The, in order to influence, as Eli Solish will tell you, come join. In order to influence, the soul needs to remain with Jacob. It doesn't mean that you don't bring your soul into the fray. Of course you bring the soul, but your soul, where does it identify with? 
Your soul in the dark space identifies with the Jacob, identifies with the source. Almost. Ellie's asking a question that many of you may be thinking, when is the class over? All right, it's going to be over in just, just a minute. Don't worry. I'm kidding. God forbid. Everyone's, uh, I'm sure everyone's enjoying it. Okay. Yes. You know, get, give me a second and we'll get right back. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be finished very soon. Okay. So, in summation, let's try to connect our, our dots over here. The, mag, the Torah portion tells us about Jacob and the angels. And the purpose was to transform Esau, to transform the evil into good. So he sends the angels. The Magid says, how did he send the angels? He kept the soul. The Rebbe asks, why keep the soul? You got to send the soul. The Rebbe explained that the whole purpose of Hasidic philosophy is to reveal the soul of everything. But in order to do that, you have to keep the soul. You can't sell out. And that's why Jacob kept the soul. Yes, he sent the soul also. But even as the soul was by Esau, it was tethered to him. It identified back home with its source. And that's the message for us. We walk this earth. We're meant to be the ones who are doing the influencing. In order to do that, our souls and our hearts have to be plugged into the source. Plugged into God. Plugged into Torah. Plugged into mitzvot. Plugged into Kabbalah plugged into Hasidut, plugged into whatever is holy and pure and light. Because the moment we cut that cord, the moment we're all in, we're all out. We're all out. We're not, we're not transforming anymore. There's, a lot, there's more. This, this, is a, this is really a Fabrengen. This is really a Fabrengen conversation. If this was a Fabrengen, I would say L'chaim. We would sing a niggin, which is a chassidic tune, and we would continue the fabrengen, and we would go on for hours. But no, no, as Eli said, when is the class over? So listen, that's also by divine providence. So we'll formally, we'll formally close it out, but let me just reiterate this idea. To make a difference, to make a positive difference, we cannot forget who we are. We cannot forget our identity. We have to know that we are with Jacob which means we're with God, right? I mean, Jacob is, being the is the euphemism for the source as opposed to the destination. We have to be plugged into the source. So yeah, we go to work. Yes, we do all sorts of material activities, but where's our heart and where's our soul? Plugged into the real, to the truth. Then we'll be successful. If not, it, it's, it's, it's treacherous. And you, I, I don't need to tell you how treacherous the world is. Yeah, you, everyone, everyone, that's everyone here right now knows just how dangerous the world is on every level. And if you think I'm overstating it, really? Really? The world is not dangerous? I don't mean like walking a dark alley at night. I mean spiritually, morally, ethically, right? I, we only have a shot when we're still plugged in. L'chaim. Cheers. I'm saying L'chaim on uh, Pamplemousse, Lacroix. Speak up. L'chaim. Rabbi. One sec. Hold on. One second. One second. One second. So let me let me do this. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm going to get to you in one second. Uh, um, in a few seconds. Let me just share this. 
I'm, I'm here to take more questions about the class, but pursuant, related to this Yutes Kislev, to this Shabbat, which is that special day, the Rosh Hashanah of, Hasidic, of the Hasidic movement, this Saturday night, there's going to be a Zoom Fabrengen, which I like to squish together, I just decided now, this moment, to call it a Zoom Brangen. I'm just saying, I haven't heard it before, but I'm thinking it could work. A Zoom Fabrengen, this Saturday night with, the guest speaker is going to be Rabbi Cantor, who is the Chabad Rabbi in Thailand. Welcome to COVID, where everyone's Zooming, and you can have the live guest speaker being from Thailand for this community, and, uh, and there are no, <laughs> no flights being, uh, be, you know, happening. So join us Saturday night. This is a citywide, Atlanta citywide um, event. All the Chabads in Georgia are going to be participating. Um, you're probably wondering, so how do I join? What's the info? All right, hold on, take it easy. I'm going to give you the info. Um, while questions are happening, I'm going to see if I can quickly download the flyer and then share it with you. Otherwise, I'm sure we'll send out an email in the next day or two, or you can look for it on Facebook, but I'm going to try to share a flyer in a moment while we have questions. All right, so let me formally close out the class. Thank you for joining. Hope you found it meaningful. Hope you, as you send your angels into the world, I hope that you always remain connected with your source. Okay. All right. Richard, go ahead. So if I, I or anyone wants to transform a person or a situation. Yes. I'm saying in terms of this incorrect, I would go and meet them on their terms, but I would not lose my identity. I would not be brought, I would meet them where they are, but yet I would bring the source with me. Or, is that correct? Is that, is that yes, yes. You need to go there. So, like Jacob, you send the angels to Esau. You don't, you don't wait for Esau to come to you. You go to Esau. But, even as you're there, you don't forget who you are. Right, right. Your soul remains with Jacob. In other words, you remain plugged into the source. And again, this is so general that it could be applied to every area, literally every area of life. Tom, education, mentoring, parenting, um, uh, spirituality, going to work, every situation. The question is, how do you remain in control when you're in treacherous territory? And the answer is, you, you got you to remain plugged in. You got to remember what this is really about. Form, and this goes back to last week also, did he in any way, shape, or form transform yourself? Was that an objective? That's such a good question. That is an excellent question. And here's the answer. The answer is that on some level, he paved the way for that transformation. Which means that whether or not it happened in that lifetime, the answer is no. And how do I know this? Because Mashiach didn't come yet. So because Mashiach didn't come yet, it means that the transformation wasn't fully realized, even for Esau himself. But he started, he started the work. We're continuing. We are all Jacob, and we are continuing that task. But we cannot forget why we're here. If we think for a moment that we're here just to eat, drink, and be merry, 
that's it. I mean, we're that's 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 uh, we're we're in for a ride. Let's put it that way. We are in for an absolute ride. Um, sure, sure, sure. Hope that hope that clarified. Um, uh, before before anyone else jumps out of the room, I have now, without further ado, I have the um, the flyer that I want to share with you. Ta-da! Can you guys see that? Should I make it bigger? Okay, an evening of learning and inspiration in honor of Yutas Kislev, which is the day of the passing of the Magid and the day of redemption of the Alter Rebbe. By the way, that's a picture of the Alter Rebbe on top, and that's a picture of Rabbi Cantor at the bottom. That's not the Alter Rebbe at the bottom. He doesn't look that modern. Okay, um, guest speakers, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Cantor, Chief Rabbi of Thailand. Okay, Saturday, December 5th, 8 p.m., a spiritual virtual event with live musical performance. Um, and here's the Zoom. So how are you going to remember that? You have to write it down or something. It's 815-7253-9882. There you have it. There you have it. If anybody wants that, just text me. Is there a password too? I don't believe so. I was wondering that also. So f first of all... Um, this is not my Zoom. I didn't set up the Zoom. So I don't have, uh, uh, I can't say for sure, but my impression is given the, the direct link and the ID, if, there's, if there is a password, the direct link, the HTTPS, would be very long because it includes the password. This one is very short and has the same numbers as the meeting ID, which leads me to believe that this one has no password on it. So... We'll have to be careful sharing it because it means that anybody could jump in. Um, oh, maybe there's a room. That nah, might be a waiting room. That's fine. Share it and join. Again, 815-7253-9882, Saturday night, 8 p.m. It's bound to be a very inspirational evening. The Atlanta Chabad, Atlanta Chabad Centers of Georgia um, is putting this on. The live musical performance will be from here locally, and there's also, it's not on the flyer, but there's going to be a very special MC for the evening who will be MCing the evening. Who's the MC? I will be MCing the evening. Yes, I will be MCing the evening. Yes, indeed. All right, you guys are on to me. Yes, so I will be MCing the evening, and again, warmly invite everybody to join. I should also mention that in the last few days, we've been just putting out brand new classes and events um, for our community specifically, including um, a new fireside chat. We've, we haven't done it for a while. Brand new fireside, Sunday, 8 p.m., Jewish fireside chat, Hanukkah edition, um, this Sunday night. And we have a, the jewelry workshop Monday night, Talmud course, brand new Talmud course, Tuesday night, Saturday night, next Saturday night, not this Saturday, next Saturday night, Hanukkah. We're going to do light your menorahs, 8 p.m. on Zoom, we'll have Havdalah. We'll have Latkas and, and Sufganiyot. How are you going to get Latkas on Zoom? You've got to pick them up Friday from us or in Toko. You'll pick them up, fresh Latkas and fresh donuts. They're amazing. They're amazing. With the dips, sour cream and applesauce. You get the whole deal. get a whole package. Then you take it home. You put it away. Saturday night, you, you pull it back out. And then, Karen, it's going to be hard. To, are you still in Maine, Karen? Yeah. 
It's a little harder to get it to you. All right, we'll have to figure that out. All right, we'll have to, we'll have to airdrop them. I don't know if that's a thing. We'll have to like drone them over. Um, but either way, sat and then. I, I can, I can take, you know, that can just imagine the smell and the taste. We'll have right? to send you a virtual version. But here's the kicker. After that, we have the, en the chief engineer of the Iron Dome, the defense missile system in Israel. You know the Iron Dome that shoots out the rockets in midair? You know, yes. Yes. Modern miracles, baby. We talk about the Maccabees on Hanukkah, ancient miracles, modern miracles of our times. This is happening. My friends, I got the chief engineer of the Iron Dome to speak to us at 3 a.m. in Israel. Yes. I emailed him. I'm like, I want to do it Hanukkah because it's like miracles, ancient, modern. I want to do it, you know, protection, um, uh, you know, victory. I want to do it Saturday at 8 p.m. He's like, that's 3 p.m. That's 3 a.m. He's like, yeah, why not? I'm like, all right, we're in. We got it. So he's willing to do it. He was, he, he's doing the time for us, which is incredible. So I, I encourage everybody to join whether you're in it for the latkes or not, I mean, I would be in it just for the food, but whatever, even if not, um, you definitely want to join us for the talk because he's going to take us behind the scenes, explain the science and the, how they created it, and also um, share some of the great miracles, some of the great and stories. This is Saturday night, the 12th of December. Yes, thank you. Yes, it's Saturday, the 12th of December, also at 8 p.m. So I know I've shared with you a bunch of things, but man, oh man, we got so much good stuff coming up. I, I do also want to uh, do this. This is what I want to share with you. This is the last thing. I mean, I say it's the last thing, but who knows. Um, Rep. Barry, while you're looking for that, I have a question about the 12th of December. So you'll have Hafdala. And then this um, this man is going to going to speak. You see this? Is it? Is it yeah, right there. I, yeah, you see the image: modern miracles inside Israel's Iron Dome with rocket scientist Ari Sasher. Includes a git box with gourmet lax and sufganiyot. That's it. But sorry, you were asking. Yeah. So my question is: I'll be in New Jersey that Friday, Saturday night, God willing, if COVID doesn't keep me away, and. Um, so is it appropriate for, I mean, I don't know that they understand it, but like my, my nearly seven-year-old granddaughter would probably love to hear that as long as you think it's, a, you know, not going to be something, you know. I, I don't think it's going to be too scary, but I, I mean, he's a scientist, so yeah. I, I don't know to which level he's going to be speaking. I'm assuming he's not going to be giving away like the most proprietary information, but he is promising to do somewhat of a behind the scenes understanding of the Iron Dome. To what level should I mean, Rachel's smart. She's a smart girl. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the question is, is Ellie Solish going to be watching this with all of us? Um, what? Oh, look who I found right here. Oh, my. Ellie Solish. How old are you, bud? You are six. That's right. Shia Solish. Look at this. We got the whole crew. Now, only two people. Only two people. Well, not only. We have, like, the two awesome people of others. In person tomorrow? 
Oh, oh, for, um, for the thing. Yeah, we're going to meet in person by hook or by crook. We're going to figure it out. Yeah. All right. So take a look. Again, I'm going to do a quick run through. Saturday. This Saturday night is Yutes Kislev with Bangkok, with Thailand, right? With me emceeing with the Saturday night thing that I shared before with the Zoom. Sunday night is Fireside Chat. Monday night is Jewelry Workshop. Tuesday night is Talmud Course. Fast forward. Next Saturday night is the Rocket Man. No, is um, Iron Dome. No, Anti-Rocket Man is Iron Dome shooting down the rockets with missiles. You don't want to miss this. And remember, you can pick up your gift box with latkes and sufganiyot. I'm so excited about this. Um, I, I've wanted to do a Cafe Chabad for so long. You, we always did Cafe Chabads all the years. We gather together. We have dinner. We have Avdallah together. So we're doing the best we can. You pick up the food beforehand. We'll eat it together. And we'll have a schmooze with... Uh, with a rocket scientist from Israel, literally a rocket scientist from Israel, at 3 a.m. Israeli time. But by us, it's manageable. So, join us. You're going to love it. And tell your friends. Why not? Let your friends enjoy it also. Okay. I think that's it. Thank you. Good to see you. Mom, good to see you. Everybody, good to see you. Take care. Lila Tov. Thank you. Bye-bye. Pl pleasure. See you all. See you.